welcome to another episode of Money for Nothing, the podcast about music and capitalism. I'm Saxon Baird with Sam Becker as always. We're back. Happy New Year. We were going to drop one right before the New Year changed, but then I spent like 24 hours in Bergheim and lost my voice. Just kidding. I got sick um, and was very squeaky and there was just no way to pull it off. I mean, we've been known to like miss a, miss a date. No, yeah. it's true. It's true. We were like, I was like, is it going to be a sexy, is it going to be a sexy, like scratchy voice, Saxon? He's like, no, I'm really, yeah, really I was, squeaky. <laughs> this is not yeah, a I did good... not, I did not sound, uh, I did not sound uh, podcast worthy. And, you know, we've, we've been known to like maybe, you know, delay uh, the, the dropping of an episode here and there. Um, but this time we actually, we actually, we, we were going to be on time, but yeah, I, I basically had no voice and you can kind of maybe even still hear I'm a little bit scratchy, but uh I think I'm finally podcast worthy. Now I'm like sexy podcaster, smoking, smoking, sexy podcaster. Um, do, do you agree or no? Are you just gonna leave me hanging there? No, no, just <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> so we've got a little two part, uh, not two part. We got a we got a, a two for in one. I got a two for one here for you. Uh, we are gonna be discussing some things that happened last month, which we've uh, hinted at. And the first thing we're discussing today is uh, things are a little rough over in hypnosis land. Uh, the uh, publicly listed hypnosis song fund uh, apparently cut its valuation by nearly 10% and uh, then like delayed the financial results of the first half of its financial year, um, which is like uh, basically code for not a good sign. Um, I guess these are things that are kind of common that if you're a shareholder, you get like reports about uh, how what you're investing in is doing. And uh, yeah, this hypnosis was just like, um, yeah, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is a this is a I, I would call this a well-earned victory lap for Saxon and I. Um, for those who may be picking up the story now, hypnosis song funds led by a Sir not sir, uh, Mr. Merc Mercuriatus, um, basically kicked off this massive influx of um, like red hot <laughs> finance money into song rights, um, like I said, a little bit more than two years ago. Uh, basically got a bunch of teaming up with um, Nile Rogers of chic fame um, and uh, who is regardless of his role in this company the single greatest rhythm guitar player of all time so like i like actually have like a fair bit of time like i'm like if you played on good times like you can do a lot of fraud in my book um not that they're doing fraud i'm saying that like he could do more fraud and i'd still be like net positive given your rhythm guitar playing sir i like i'm a huge chic fan and um in a bizarre, bizarre, like, move, Daft Punk released a drumless version of Random Access Memories, which is no one needed. It's very weird. There's just no drums on it. But, but, listen to Get Lucky without drums and how in the pocket Niall Rogers is on rhythm guitar. It's just, it's like, it, 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 like it, def, it's unbelievable how good he is at rhythm guitar. Okay, that's enough about Niall Rogers. More about the company that he's like kind of a part of. Um, basically, kind they of threw a, a of. lot of money. <laughs> I mean, kind of a part of. Definitely a part of. Definitely a part of. It's unclear like how 
to what extent he's doing the like um jay-z brooklyn nets thing oh where, like, i was just about to say this i was just about to say i was like yeah no it's it's completely like okay uh like merc and whatever his like shady investors when they first started this hypnosis song fund were definitely like we need a face to like legitimize what we're doing who's cool and got money and somehow they came across Nile Rodgers and he was in <laughs> because good luck finding a picture of Merck without Nile Rodgers also in the photo. <laughs> yeah. 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 So basically uh, they started throwing around enormous amounts of money to buy the publishing rights of songwriters, um, hit songwriters. And, and basically their theory was that songs were a, um, undervalued asset class that they were counter cyclical in that the market could go up, the market could go down, but people would continue to listen to songs and like therefore continue to make money. That in an in in an increasingly digital future, songs were only going to get more and more valuable, and that therefore, because they were kind of like the first movers in this space, they could throw really reshape the market like just through gobs of money, like millions and millions and millions of dollars to amass this um, collection of songs. And in doing so, kind of kicked off, A, a whole bunch of kind of uh, copycat slash competitors, um, some of whom were kind of doing it before and, and you know, uh, but were very, very much viewed that way in the public narrative, made the major labels pony up a lot of money, disrupted this whole space, created... An it seemingly infinite amount of like newspaper ink, um, digital newspaper ink, and then like we're just kind of riding high on the whole bubble. But like, unsurprising to everyone, the world has changed. It is no longer 2020 or 2021. Thank God, it's no longer 2020. 20, I mean, <laughs> 2021 wasn't that great either, to be honest. But financially speaking, um, financially speaking, the world's a very different place in that, like, there are now interest rates. And so this was kind of a test of how Merck and Co. were going to deal with the, like, the need to, uh, you know, have any sort of gravity (laughs) surrounding their proclamations. And, like, the headline is not well. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely not well. And, like, we, we were kind of talking about this. We were wondering, like, uh, I think one thing we talked about when we first were covering hypnosis was, like, how they were going to basically, like, turn a profit. And then I think one of the conclusions that I came to was, like, they don't really need to, like, turn a profit. They're just going to, like, ride on this sort of uh, the hype sort of around it, really. Um, but now, like, the actual hype is, I guess, waning and the actual value of this asset class which you said is devalued is actually devaluing <laughs> it turns out which they're well, still it's, claiming it's, is like incorrect um in in this whole sort of debacle that's been going on i should also mention i didn't mention earlier um that like the dividends were suspended so i guess like if you're an investor you know you get like a certain amount of money um quarterly or something i imagine um please hit us up if you know more about this and so those are suspended and then like half the board was also like like kicked off or changed and then because so there was is, a deal yeah th- this is where we get into the fun stuff yeah it's just a mess which is that okay so you've got the rise of interest rates which means like a couple of different things one way to think about what's happening what happened with this massive financial influx into catalog sales which we were kind of talking about at the time um 
it feels good to be right, baby, is that smart money avoids the music industry because it's a mess because it's a mess it's like pretty consistently a mess so smart money avoids the music industry and like traditionally has because it's it's super unsteady you need a ton of like real knowledge to make money right like like um put it this way the way the record companies make money which is basically exploiting their advantages whenever they get one, minimizing their losses as much as they can, maximizing every little piece of information they can get, and then basically being like terrible, you know, <laughs> just like a uh, 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 really un- really tough and often unfair um, and occasionally criminal bargainers <laughs> is like probably the, mo- the only way to consistently make money in the music industry. Um, and... As a result, that requires like a ton of local knowledge, if you think about it, right? Like you really need to, un- like you need to be like enmeshed in this industry to make it in this industry because that's just a funny, weird, specific structure, which means that like finance guys coming in and who don't have an experience in this industry, it, it's, it, it can be very opaque. And so traditionally money's kind of avoided it. Even when there are these big multinational companies that own like a record industry part, they usually like tap a record guy almost exclusively guy to run their stuff. And so like part of the reason that money started pouring into record sales was that interest rates were incredibly low, which means it's really easy to borrow money. And at first you like throw money into like normal stuff that maybe makes money. And then you can throw it into all kinds of wilder things like, I don't know, an electric car company or a space company or a hyper tube company, you know, just like imagining stuff off the top yeah, of my head. Crazy, <laughs> um, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but like you keep getting wilder and wilder and wilder. And like slightly after the untested company that like connects human brains through electrodes, you get to the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of like its lack of plausibility. And basically, so this money started flooding in because they were able to say like, with some money, we can offer you real returns. And that's clearly changed, which means it's harder to raise money now everywhere. But especially, like, money gets pulled back from the wilder wilder areas um, because if you think about a high interest rate, it means that keeping your money in the bank makes you money. So it needs to be better than that. And all the, all the risks get pulled back in. And so what you get now is kind of a tougher environment And as that happened, I'd like to lie and say that I'm a good person and a dispassionate observer. But much to my delight, it turns out, um, and it appears that there was and is chicanery. Surprise. Substantive, (laughs) substantive chicanery, which is also the name of my, like, incredibly Jewish hardcore band. 2024, the year of chicanery. Um, it'll be the year of chicanery people um, I mean it is you heard it here first it it is it already was it is yeah so basically like what it appears happened so in in this whole thing there's this complicated financial structure or rather rather complicated corporate financial structure where there's the basic song fund which most people have invested in and then there's the advisory group which is another company which is and that's what Merck 
I guess Merck works for both, but Merck owns more of the not uh, of the group that oversees the fund. Now, you'd think that those would be one company, but this is finance, so no. You can like buy into the group that runs the fund, or you can buy into the fund, and each of those has different kinds of financial uh, obligations and financial payouts. And Blackstone, the private equity behemoth, um, throws a ton of money into the like I guess more dominantly Mercuriatus non-public advisory group, which makes most of its money through advisory fees from the public stock market with normal investors and normal investor rule main hypnosis song fund yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so like a situation which uh, as you could clearly tell dear listener offers no (laughs) offers no possibility for like a uh uh conflict of interest like it's not that's simply oh no absolutely not no totally understandable i mean totally like above board like nothing weird like yeah no yeah and there's no possibility for anything weird so basically when things start to go bad and and this is where like some of this reporting is still a little bit uh there's a lot of kind of different conflicting stories but as best as i can understand things start to go bad hypnosis down the song funds downgrades the valuation of a big chunk of its collection and says like this is not uh this is not worth what it's going to be worth and they blame it it seems on copyright rule board decisions which is the kind of the board that determines payouts but honestly like i looked into this and again really at me if i just missed this but like i looked into copyright rule board decisions in this period of time and i didn't find any like I didn't figure out what I could not figure out what they were talking about. And maybe that's my research or maybe this is also complicated. That is kind of bullshit. And it's just like the money's not coming in the way it is. But like literally I spent a bunch of time looking for it and I could not find like I I, like I found the ruling, which seems to be totally in line. In fact, good for songwriters and the kinds of and the kinds of rights that hypnosis has. And the only way that. I could see that hypnosis would have like had to downgrade potential earnings or value based on this decision is if they had previously estimated that this decision would be something that was so far outside of the realm of what was being discussed as like the most likely outcome by like uh, David Israelite, like the, the, the heavyweights in the like music publishing rights space that and like the major organizations like the associations of music publishers and stuff like that it was a financial fantasy basically and like they were depending on something that like there was no way it was going to happen because as far as i could tell like the, the copyright rate board decision was a good one for hypnosis so if they were like oh we really took a hit on that one i'm like what did you think was going to happen anyway so they they downgrade this they don't pay out royalty sorry they don't pay out dividends which is a big deal because the argument for hypnosis the basic the core argument for why this is why this is a good idea was that this was a counter cyclical investment that you could use this to 
to balance your portfolio. So even if the market declined or did bad or you had bad conditions, it would keep bringing in money and it would like, um, yeah, let, let you balance out your, your set of investments. And so the idea that like a large scale macroeconomic event, like the rise of global interest rates happens and like you're immediately like, oh, actually we can't pay, we can't pay your money anymore, really cuts to the heart of like, why this isn't just like an asset bubble flipping company and why it's like a valid ongoing potential business company, right? Like the idea that they make money and then they give that money to their investors. Like that's the whole idea, not just that they like buy assets and those assets go up in price, which is like what Saxon, you and I thought (laughs) their business seemed like it was, but um, they said it wasn't. Okay, so all of that happens. And then they have this downgrade in the um, amount of, of what the, 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 their rights, what the rights they hold are valued as. And then there is this like set of decisions about like what they're going to do with the fund. Oh, another thing is it seems like they didn't pay out the dividend because they were near some sort of debt limit in terms of how much money they owed and how much money they could owe, such that, so they were near some sort of limit such that, like, if they sent out more money, like, uh, parts of their debts, they did hit some sort of, um, like, contractually obligated line where people could start calling in those debts, and so they weren't able to pay out money. So, like, things were shakier than they anyone thought they were. And then, <laughs> Blackstone then comes in. basically, Blackstone comes in and says, like, I'll give you guys. So Blackstone comes in and offers, like, way less money, basically, for either all or a big chunk of the fund's assets. That's, that's what they try to buy. For, for less money than certainly that had been valued at before. And the people doing the valuations were the companies that had been working with both Blackstone and, and and Hypnosis Fund from the very beginning. Which is, like, crazy. That's, like, so basically, <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. Like, basically, like, um, <laughs> it's, like, right, the, 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 the valuation firm that had been working with this company the whole time, that when it was really useful, gave them really high valuations, now suddenly drops the valuation and then the company that owns the advisory company is like oh man this is a really low valuation you should probably sell me a bunch of your stuff at an even lower valuation because like the market's crashing for these kind of rights and to their credit the the stockholders are like no (laughs) like 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 absolutely not and they they basically have this um like corporate fight they have a vote of no confidence. They kick out a bunch of board members. They pull in new board members. They might fire Merck because, like, it sure seems like he and Blackstone were trying to, like, swoop in and buy. Having used the public's money to purchase a lot of stuff for a lot of money, we're then trying to use private equity money to purchase it for a lot less. Which is smart if you're Blackstone, I guess, but, like, not like c- cool <laughs> i mean maybe we, yeah maybe we shouldn't be shocked but I'm, I'm like trying to find like a real life like you know use like the real life like example or like i'm sorry like use like an analogy to explain this but i like i can't even like 
I don't know. I don't even know like where to begin. Well, the conflicts of interest are just wild, and and they're being yeah, paid it's like the so landlord, much like, money. Like, yeah. At, like, uh, it's like the landlord, like you're paying the landlord who owns the building to like have like a shop on the bottom floor, and then like the landlord like lowers the rent and buys out like a fifth of your business or something. I don't even know. Like, it's like so. It's so weird. No, it's like it's so like, confusing. So it's a even, mess. That's not even right. And but it's like yeah, it's it's just... really shady. And like frankly, is like this is why you shouldn't pour money in the music industry. It's <laughs> like classic music industry vibes right here. And so, in summary, like... We laugh. We were right. Like, good luck Hypnosis, to the investors. If you would like us to pay us, like, multiple, like, six figures to come in and, like, help you um, work this out. And, like, my hope, the funniest I thing... I wouldn't say no. The funniest thing that they might do, <laughs> they're, like, currently undergoing a reevaluation. They've got a new valuing company. But there's a real option that the investors vote <laughs> to just roll it up. Like, that's an option that they can do where they just go, that's like, the so fun's insane. over now, <laughs> which is, which is I think, by far the funniest oh, potential completely. outcome of this Because insane... then the assumption is then, okay, so then let me ask you if that does happen. We have to ask, like, who then, okay, so, like, whatever, like, who does Neil Young get back his 50% of his catalog? Because no, then, he like, could buy it. He could buy it back. Uh, for, like, on a, for, like, at a fire sale. Or even, even if he bought, I mean, look, you're right, you're right. Let's let's I mean, be, he would definitely buy for really cheaper. Honest. He would he'd buy it for cheaper than the yeah, funniest, he'd buy it for cheaper than he, that he sold it the to them for. The funniest outcome is it turns out that Mick Ronson was correct and that he made the right move by selling his selling his rights at the top of a market is going to come down and then I mean Neil Young actually probably won't rebuy his stuff because as far as I can tell Neil's like I've got my money. I just want to like make my and still it somehow incredible music and like chill and like not have to worry about it but like someone like mark ronson like the funniest version is mark ronson buys it back and just like <laughs> pockets a chill like hundred million dollars <laughs> which he can just spend yeah, on like know, maybe then turns it around or fucking resells it to like another song fund i don't know like, who fucking just blows it all on the world's nicest yeah. studio equipment yeah, which I probably already have. Which he probably yeah. does already have. But, like, so. you know what? Like, at least it's going to someone who produced the Black Lips. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he produced the Black Lips? Yeah, Arabian Mountain. No way, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. After, after, um, after Amy Winehouse. Like, it, he likes genre stuff. They like genre stuff. He's like, let me make you and sound... Is this like some weird uh, Also proving to never trust the music industry Is this like some weird move Where like some A&R guy was like Yo Amy Winehouse is blowing up You know how else you should also check out The Black Lips <laughs> No I don't think that was it I think I mean I think this was when they were on Like the peak of their financial success But I think this was like just like He'd be like you, like I think there, there's you get enough money And you're like <laughs> you know what would be fun Producing the Black Lips I mean you know, the space between and 60s... And fun it probably was. Yeah. The space between 60s garage rock and 60s girl group pop is not that big. Oh, no, I know. That's what I was saying. I was just like some A&R guy being like, this this, would be, this is going to be a trend. It's going to be a trend that everybody's going to follow. Everybody's going to follow Winehouse. We've got to find the who, who's doing it. The Black Lips. Um, well, anyways, for another for another podcast or not. So, yeah, I think so, that's about it, about, about good old Merck. We're basically going to like watch this space and um, 
we're gonna like Michael Jackson popcorn it the whole time, basically. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's enough about Hypnosis Song Fun. Now we're talking about Spotify and some major news in Spotify that I think dropped probably like in late November. Um, Spotify confirmed uh, after many rumors, uh, Spotify has confirmed they'll be changing their royalty payments, um, I guess beginning sometime soon. And uh, don't worry, it's 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 nothing to make uh, songwriters excited about. <laughs> uh, you're probably still you're you're still getting fractions it's every, of every. It's Spotify's changed, yeah. Spotify's changes royalty payment, and now every songwriter gets one jelly exactly, bean yeah. a month, hand hand delivered by as Daniel a Eck. recompense for yeah, hand delivered by Daniel Eck. <laughs> A single jelly really, what bean. is he doing? <laughs> like a Swedish Santa yeah, Claus. Really, what is he doing? <laughs> but no, there are, there's basically, you can break it down into three major issues. Uh, at least that's the way that Spotify did it when they announced it. And it, the three major issues are artificial streaming, payment loss in the system, and gaming the system with noise. Let me tell you, noise is always gaming the system. <laughs> um, but I think the may one of the biggest, yeah, we can go through, we can go through all the, all the changes, but I think that, um, I think one of the major changes that everybody seems to be talking about um, is kind of at the top of that list, which is that it won't be giving payouts for any track that gets less than 1,000 listens will not receive royalties. Or it like, it's not that, like it needs to exceed 1,000 plays to begin receiving royalties. Um, also, so and this was other things right. that uh, certain styles of quote unquote noise tracks, such as like white noise and sleep sounds, they need to be like two minutes long. And also Spotify has announced that they're going to levy a fee on labels or distributors who um, are found to be generating artificial streams or basically like it's like bots or like click farms are used to like inflate. Um, an artist streaming figures and I, we, we kind of talked about that one time that that crazy story you interviewed that journalist i believe that uh like a couple years back about that crazy story of uh it was like some norteño music down in like arizona or something that was being artificially inflated to like make like oh no that was a youtube thing that was a youtube yeah but yeah it was youtube they were just stealing oh yeah music. they were claiming other people's story. yeah yeah that yeah. was wow yeah, yeah. they were just claiming other people's but yeah music. but there is there is um, this, like certain like you know apparently like there's like bots and and and, and click farms to like increase oh, people's there's yeah. absolutely and why wouldn't you bots exactly click farms. exactly why wouldn't you do that um so anyway so they spotify claims yeah. these improvements will you know here's like the fucking you know the press release will cl- claim to give extra revenue by artists and redirect funds that have previously gone to the rights holders, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Tom Conaghan, Conaghan, manager director of Spotify UK says that basically 95.5% of all tracks that are streamed will still be monetized. And so it's just a very small percentage of tracks are going to be impacted. It's probably blowing smoke up our ass, but anyways, those are the changes. And yeah, it's kind of caused like a lot of conversation, uh, a lot of, digital ink has been spilled as you were as you as you uh used uh, earlier in the show about this um so i don't know which one you want to start with but it, it seems like the one that everybody seems to be talking about is this 1000 streams um minimum yeah so maybe let's deal with that third and we can just kind of talk about the first two 
pretty quickly. I mean, like the the white noise thing is like again these these are these are kind of changes around the margins, right? It's like there's a lot of complaints about kind of non non music sounds being. I mean, there was that one band that like a couple years ago funded a, a tour by releasing an album called Sleep that was just like a hundred tracks of silence and asked all their fans to stream it every night, which is like a ton of like world eating, world destroying computational power. Actually, like this is so all stupid. Like it takes mainframes and servers to do this stuff. And it's just such a waste of human energy. But like we live in a Baroque hell. So like, that's like, that's not the point. There's that. There's, I mean, artificial tracks and art. I mean, artificial dumping artificial tracks which is part of this um and then like artificial clicks and listens i mean with all of this i mean this this one gets i think to the the um and this has been a major concern in a lot of different music industry of streaming sites for a while um and and just to be clear it's it's a major concern because not just does it change the payouts for that artist but that because payouts are organized through a general pool any kind of manipulation affects everyone to a certain extent because it shapes the overall proportions of the payout pool which again is like why this is so such an incredibly baroque complicated system um and just like worth like spending we've talked about this a lot but like worth spending a second just to like remind ourselves of like in the the classic physical record era, it was like a weird system and who knows who got paid. But like, if you bought a Blink-182 album, like some amount of that money was going directly to Blink-182 minus like however much, you know, Walmart gets out of it, however much the distributor gets out of it, however much the label gets out of it, however much the management gets out of it, like whatever their names whatever ages they are they will like end up getting a certain amount of that money and it's like a direct transaction like what didn't happen but what does happen now with spotify streams is it's like everyone takes those cuts and then every record every cd sold in america the overall amount of money is like organized into one big pot and then everyone gets paid out of that pot dependent on what percentage of the overall amount of record sales in the country they were so like actually like there's no direct like there's actually not a direct connection right so like when artists say like this is how much i'm getting paid per stream it's not like your stream is going to them it's like your stream is going into this pool of streams and then roughly for every stream they make they get this much out and it's this weird non-direct thing um and so so like stream boosting yeah and that's like kind of been the source of like a major like debate like in the industry from everywhere from like you know sir lucian grange to like you know people on twitter that are independent artists about you know what's the prorata model in which you're describing versus like what what has been termed as like artist-centric models or like user-centric models and like yeah, different platforms are experimenting with different things. Like I think, you know, like SoundCloud is using, we don't, we can get into this later, but SoundCloud is like, you know, uh, experimenting apparently with like a user centric model where it's like your plays go directly to the artists that you're playing. But yeah, this is like a huge debate. And like in a way, I think you can kind of see these changes 
to the royalty system that Spotify uses as kind of a, a sort of soft sort of entrance into this, into trying to work, trying to do something new that is, that is, uh, I guess, in response to these debates. I think that's exactly, exactly right. And and I think that we're going to, um, I, I want to get to that in like a second. But yeah. first, I mean, just to kind of finish up this point about artificial streams and like bots and like at some level, like, yeah, that makes total sense. And I understand why, to, in, for, for, because we're still in this pro, pro rata universe, like uh, this is why any artificial streams impacts everyone. And like, so it would be really cool. Like, I'd be like, yeah, like at some level, I mean, like we live in a, a consumer democracy and like at some level we, we you know we we vote with our dollars and like that's like how our culture works now and like so like it should be as fair as it can be and that'd be like really neat if i believe that like if i believe that like the major labels a hundred percent are never ever doing anything <laughs> to encourage unfair streams whether that is directly, like, and I'm not saying that they are, but there was that weird title scandal where, like, a whole bunch of they turned out to be major fake streams on, like, Beyonce and some other folks a couple years back. But also, like, and this is, like, the classic weird argument about payola that's been going on since the 50s. Um, when payola first dropped, right, um, this is uh, primarily... R&B record labels paying white disc jockeys like Alan Freed to play their records. And there's this argument that like this is corrupting the system, this money's bad. But the R&B labels kind of argued that this is the only way they could get in the door and that in a system that's designed to benefit a handful of major labels, like actually in a weird way, like, and anything goes system is you know can be viewed in a weird way as slightly more fair than a system in which a few people have structural positions of advantage and structural connections to the overall like maintainers and keepers of the infrastructure and then other people don't um that in fact like it's in a weird way it's like a unilateral disarmament that the majors don't need to do some of the more like outrageously uh um seeming or seemingly outrageous click farming stuff because they like are able to get stuff on playlists certainly they're able to like connect to tiktok and have tiktok just like hit that heating button which they a hundred percent now we know that they do in fact have anytime they want something to go bigger on the algorithm right so like the sense is that it, it it's it makes things seem more fair, but the question in the music industry, I think, fundamentally, a question in which it's like a, like a, a truly, truly like life is nasty, brutish and short, and it's a it's a it's a doggy dog world. It's like if there is no fair, who who's benefiting from these conditions? Yeah, completely. And I mean, also the reason why like the major labels are to do that, just to remind everyone, is because of the fact that it basically props up Spotify because Spotify has to like license most of their music from these major labels. And thus, because of that, like <laughs> if the, you know, if a major label calls Correct. and wants something done, I mean like Spotify doesn't really have like it, the, the say to, doesn't really have the, the uh, agency to say no. <laughs> I mean, 
basically these major labels can put pressure on Spotify at any point by threatening to like pull their licensing or threaten whatever else. And so like basically they have to play it's to the benefit of like the major labels and Spotify. Right maintaining <laughs> continuing to operate at a loss <laughs> but still maintain as a company like to play the game that the major labels want them to play yeah no and i think that this, that's a really good point that like the, the that point about structural connections because i do think that um the single biggest takeaway of this whole set of changes and and, and here i think we're starting to talk about that third change which is the demonetization of everything under a thousand plays um and, and i think that uh, that most of what this tells us about is less about the specific issues at hand right here because i actually think that spotify is telling the truth and that in and of themselves these are not particularly important changes i think that this this set of changes is really really important because of what it tells us about the relationship between spotify and the music industry what it tells us about how people are positioning for kind of this, uh, what's coming next in the music industry. And what you were saying before is that this is this like, uh, the first real move in kind of a soft around the edges beginning, a, a reconstruction of like the, the fundamental mechanics of the streaming industry as we've known them for the past decade. And so, yeah, so for, for one, I think that this like, uh, under 1000 demonetization plays demonetization thing which i do not believe actually hits songwriters so the publishing rights still get paid out but it's the the master rights the loser here right actually in terms of who maybe makes money is not songwriters because like i think it's like ideologically yes everyone who should get paid and like fundamentally it's totally messed up that like you can like platform like you can network effect slat like terms of service tyranny if that makes any sense like if you want your stuff to be if you want to be a real musician and widely accessible except in a handful of like genres or scenes like you need to be on spotify and therefore spotify can say anything it wants in its terms of service and you sort of have to do it because they can just say like well if you don't want to do that you don't have to be on spotify and you're like well you you do need to be on spotify it's like has an element of the public square it just happens to be a mall which is a privately owned public square um yeah so they like it, it, it is a big deal ideologically speaking but i think that in terms of, of industry mechanics this is like a tactical strike on the distributors and on the indie distributors in particular like distro kids cd baby tunecore etc um and we've talked uh, um in previous episodes about spotify kind of about the, the the declining percentage of major label music on the streaming service and the way that might be shifting the kinds of negotiated leverage between the majors and the the, the dsps the digital service providers like like spotify um and right so like the basic thing is as you were saying saxon like they have the, the spotify kind of has to do what the majors want because in order to be a functional streaming service, you need the the IP that only they can provide. But there's some wiggle room where if it's 95% major labels, Strong's being streamed, like, yeah, you, you have to do what they say. 
But if it's 80%, maybe not as much. And if it's, you know, this is uh, Majors plus Merlin, which is the big, uh, we did an episode about this, this is the big kind of indie uh, clearinghouse, if you will. Like, if it's 70, if it's 60, at a certain point, you get more leverage because you're like, guys, you're just not as much of our business as you used to be. Maybe we can like renegotiate some of those rates. Maybe we can uh, finally have like a functional business. Well, so this is this is interesting, and maybe you can like kind of break this down for me because actually I did read about this as well, and like we haven't discussed it before the show, and I think it'd be beneficial to the listeners actually if we kind of explain this because I agree that it does align with also like what Lucian Grange and like the big labels like want. In fact, there's actually even a quote. Um, I guess like some investors call or something. Grange was quoted as saying that um, those groups that have expressed a concern about a quote unquote artist centric, artist centric streaming royalty model, which is the basically what Grange supports, are unsurprisingly those whose business model is based on being merchants of garbage. Sorry, I really can't think of another word for the content that no one actually wants to listen to. And then later, quali- later. Um, said if you're committing fraud to flooding the platforms with content that have absolutely no engagement with fans that doesn't help churn that doesn't merchandise great music and professional artists then i suppose you're not going to be in favor of an artist-centric model music business worldwide said that grange was primarily directing his ire over companies who flood platforms with content such as as you mentioned distro kid cd baby and TuneCore. and so my understanding is that that's because those DIY quote unquote distribution services are like have an open door policy. Like they're not discerning about like who they like are distributing. Yeah. But that's just, but it, yeah, yeah. So that it, so it is interesting. Um, so that's, so that's the reason why he's like, why this is kind of like shots fired at these sort of like quote unquote DIY distribution services. And, and to be very clear, when Lucian Grange says artist centered, he, he does not mean like on behalf of, musicians he means like a vision where certain musicians are are certain music is like artistically viable and it is has a certain set of payout structures payout structures associated with it and other sounds are sounds and like they're not um and they're not considered music and they don't have the same kind of ip or payout structure so in some way he's trying to like de you could see you, you could say like there's a tension between like a YouTube world and a record store. A record store, everything's produced by a label of some kind and it's all music. YouTube world, music is just more content and it doesn't actually matter whether or not like it's a song or sounds like or a deep you know I sometimes work with like a deep pink noise hum YouTube video. And they get they get payouts for that, right? It's right. ad supported, and it's ad supported. I think in, in in you know most of these channels function the same way. I mean, some of them have specific relationships with YouTube, but that's a different story. And so he's kind of saying by artist centric streaming or artist centric model, he's talking about like um, artists as defined by the music industry, which is like a record industry. And yeah, so I think that this is exactly right. When when these companies are flooding the market with garbage, it's they let anyone throw stuff in. And some of that is like a million cat sounds or whatever. And some of that is a million like 13-year-old SoundCloud rappers who want their stuff on Spotify or whatever. But 
I think what you see there is, and there had been, right, a very clear downward trend on the market share within platforms like Spotify of the majors as, no, most of these get 500 plays, let's say. I mean, they don't even, but let's say, you know, you could have a huge, but there is this long tail where all of a sudden, if you have enough tracks that have 500 plays, especially, especially if they're kind of being fed in an increasingly algorithmically structured listening environment, so there is an ability to have discovery across the bounds of notoriety maybe like if like you could be a nowhere but like if you just fit right with an algorithm you could start getting a little bit of traction all of a sudden that long tail could start to create real leverage and and a kind of as we're seeing in the numbers as as we were seeing in the numbers so for me this is shocking honestly because i my read on the situation had been surely spotify is pro distribution services because this like they need to have more leverage against the majors and this very much felt to me like lucian grange said jump and spotify said how high sir yeah i mean completely for sure completely in a way that i think is like is fascinating because what it suggests is that really this company which has not been having a great year which had its pivot to podcasts which didn't end up for a variety of reasons, didn't end up paying out the way it did, though I still think made sense as a strategy. Like, it seems to me that, like, you need to get leverage against these companies that are, like, willing to to just have total power over you. But this seems like they just totally capitulated in a way that's gonna, can't imagine it doesn't cut off a lot of that long tail growth. And I think that they probably, Um, I mean, maybe this is something we can kind of talk about a little bit, is that it's doing that because as we've seen over the years, basically Spotify has been trying to like squiggle. So Spotify has been trying to like, like, like squirm its way out from underneath the pressure of the major labels. Like we're going into audiobooks, We're going into podcasting, all this. None of it's fucking worked. It is the defining like source of like listening to music in like at least the Western world right now. And I mean, and I mean, yeah. and you know, obviously we don't need, this is obvious, but obviously, you know, sh- streaming music makes up like 84% of like all, you know, streaming, streaming music makes up like 84% of like how we consume our music now or something, you know, opposed to like physical sales or, or downloading MP3s. Yo, real heads out there downloading MP3s, shout out to you. Um, <laughs> um, but um, so like, obviously like it, 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 it realizes it's the dominated platform, there's a dominating platform for like streaming music. And it like wants to maintain its longevity. I don't know, maybe someday fucking earn a fucking profit. Anyways, but like I think it's basically at this point where it's like, okay, we just need to like play the game they want us to play. Yeah, I guess. So. I mean, it just it's it's it, maybe it, that's I don't know. Maybe fascinating, that's, yeah. right? Because it does seem like after a couple of years in which the only way I think to read the the podcasting push in Spotify was as a way to you know we're not a music company. They said we're an audio company. Right. So there was a real like not just a little bit, a real push to get out of the major label thumbs. And this just seems like, like I said, like a total capitulation in a fascinating way. And and, and a capitulation also. And this is the, 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 the question here is why. Right. And there's a couple of reasons. I don't I don't really know, but there's a couple of reasons I can think about. Right. Which is one is what they're doing here is really important in addition to the industrial inter-industrial story 
it's really important, like, for, for the reason that you said before, which is that we're starting to see just a little bit around the edges a restructuring of the basic rules of streaming. We've seen a couple of companies adopt different models. We're now seeing this, right? And it's kind of like um, baby steps because I think, right, there's a, there's a lot ideologically invested among listeners, among the press, among the broader public in like how these systems function. And I think that people don't want to assume that they're just sort of like a random and not just don't want to assume, like, Earlier systems were structured by governmental intervention in ways that, like, created at least a a seemingly stable marketplace. Like, how much songwriters get paid is determined by a copyright rates board. ASCAP and BMI, the performing rights organizations, are, like, semi-governmental in as much as their their activities are defined by consent decrees. Like, there's a sense that, like... It shouldn't just Hollywood and has is structured by these massive labor organizations, which again, it just it's it's not like anyone can just do whatever they want in terms of the payouts around these major artistic forms. And so I think that there's a lot of interest in like there needs to be something feeling like it's vaguely fair. Because for the industry, it's very important that it feels vaguely fair. Because while musicians don't have a lot of power, they do have a lot of public support. And, like, Bruce Springsteen can call up a president. Like, he just can, right? Bruce Springsteen can get the president on the phone. And, like, maybe he can't make a change, but there's a lot, like, they've got a lot of cultural power. And if, if I think that, so it's very important for the record industry to, like, maintain at least a plausible sense that, like, this is a system with legitimacy. This is a system that's institutionalized. This is a system that's, that 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 major artists support and that like isn't that like has real heft and there's a reason it exists this is a system that exists and it's like a system that's like not like this is just something that we came up with randomly when we were like absolutely panicked in 2007 and we thought the sky was falling and so it does seem that they're starting to remake this system and they're doing it really carefully and they're doing it with this artist first ideology that like I have a lot of <laughs> distrust in, but like is 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 being couched in specific terms. It's saying it's against garbage. It's right in all these ways where they're they're trying to remake streaming. And the question is what they're trying to remake it for. For someone like Lucian Grange, it's clearly so that blue chip artists make money from streaming because in from an industry perspective, you could think about it that like streaming you could argue that streaming and where the industry makes its money like have gotten maybe not a little out of sync but have a potential for getting out of sync right like you want streaming to support artists who then can then go on tour forever and make money for decades because that's like actually what the industry wants and so just going back to what you said earlier about like how like the stat we've, we dropped even earlier this year and what you said earlier about like how like these diy distributors are starting to take like a larger cut of the streaming well yeah and that that too they don't want that to happen obviously and they want to keep having their the the, the um their their power over spotify and, and i think that they they like want so if this is going to end up in a, in a world where blue chip artists get paid out better and blue, like a select set of blue chip artists are able to like cut through the digital noise. Partially, I mean, 
and, and this is where I think it gets really interesting because I don't think the music industry is fundamentally thinking about Spotify here or about streaming. I think they're getting ready for a number of new conditions that are starting to emerge. And I think TikTok is one example of, of, of this kind of space. Like it's important for the record industry to figure out a way that it can like create artists on TikTok, artists who have careers that look like musicians that look like the kinds of trajectories of careers that the record label is really good at organizing and not that it looks like reddit you know what i mean where it's just like a whole bunch of like semi-anonymous user-generated activity and yeah they're trying to think like they're trying to like basically have more of a hand in curating like what the next big artist is instead of having to sort of um pay attention to what's happening on like an app that they that you know another another app that they don't really have any kind of control over which i mean as we said they do have a little bit of control over tiktok but there is a certain level of like randomness now about like what is the next big artist who pops up you know what becomes like popular well, and i think they just want to have like more of a hand and then more of a control over that and like deciding that th th there's that but i also think and this is where it gets a little i i'm like way out over my skis but i think it's important to be thinking about this because i think that this is what explains a lot of what's happening in the music industry right now which is that they're thinking about ai really hard i think and they're starting i read this as a, as a set of steps that's designed to start laying the ground for the kinds of flexibility in payout structures um, and the client kinds of monetization structures that's necessary to maintain industry control over these major flows in an AI world. If you think about what fully out in the wild AI generated music is going to look like, there's a lot of different potential possibilities. But one possibility is that everyone is kind of creating a little cloud of music around them being created by these algorithmic programs that will maybe share certain kinds of signifiers between people or sometimes will be shared in relation to artists, but I think it's going to look a lot more mimetic, right? It's going to be kind of like valence clouds of sound and style around artists. And I'll, and even if like we don't go the whole like post-postmodernism, like end of identity stuff, I don't see it's a world, it's clearly a world in which there's a lot more user-generated music content. User-generated music content that sounds almost as good and maybe sounds exactly like the artist it is, like, memeing on. And none of those songs, or maybe some of them, but the vast majority of those are not going to hit a thousand. They're going to hit five, like most memes, right? And you can imagine a world in which we just don't, we've... And before it even blows up, oh, I'm sorry, guys, we already set this. Even before we knew this was going to happen, no, needs to hit 1,000, get a payout structures. The minute percentage that's eventually that's going to hit 1,000, then you can figure out licensing. Then you can figure out monetization, like how YouTube has. But it, it seems like it, it, it sets a hard cap over a vast space of musical production that is where a lot of these technologies seem to be... Um, Aimed. yeah and also d just the key point to add maybe this is obvious but also the key point to add is like a lot of like those whatever ai generated user you know a user generated through ai you know music is not going to be under the control of the major labels and so that's also it as well so like the more you have of that the the less of the pie they have of like what's making money and what's being streamed 
I mean, or maybe it is, but you could argue that like a million AI Dua Lipas, each of whom have nine listens, is like not something that the music industry necessarily wants to or is going to be able to deal with figuring out the rights on. And some way it's easier if you say like, oh, well, all of this is demonetized except through maybe some sort of like blanket payout, which we can deal with like behind the, the you know, but, but uh, in a back room where you say YouTube, we know there's a lot of unlicensed content, anything over a thousand, which is already the deal we have with Spotify, by the way, like we have to deal with in a licensing way that maybe we can figure out how to deal with everything underneath it. Let's just estimate how much economic activity it produces and we're going to get a cut of it because if you don't give us that cut, we're pulling our real IP, which people are still listening to off of your platform. This is what they did with TikTok to a certain extent in its early days and, and it's something that that having those clear benchmarks for monetization in one place allows them to do in other places, maybe at a business level, but also at an ideological level. And I think it's really interesting that they're doing this right before these new forms of technology really start to hit, which is where I think a lot of what's happening, and I think we're going to spend a lot of time honestly talking about this kind of topic this year, because I do think that right now it feels a little bit like um, like the, the lag time between everyone getting smartphones and Uber, you know? Like we're starting to get technologies and the the, the the infrastructures that can change stuff, but like the social adoption where new things explode like isn't quite there yet. And I can't help but think that when they're making, when the music industry is making major moves to start restructuring streaming payouts, they're not thinking about that future. Yeah, so, I mean, that seems like a good place to put a bow on this episode. Uh, obviously, we're going to be watching this space as always. I feel like I feel like we were, we're doing, like, at least on average, like, two or three Spotify shows, like, a, a year because uh, – but, and, 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 uh, but it, it is a good – I think they are good, like, a bellwether for a gateway into, like, a, what else is happening in the music industry and, like, what the major labels are thinking and – yeah, so we'll continue to be paying attention to how these uh, these changes and play out, but more like structurally, as as, as Sam was uh, was was just illustrating. We'll check you out next time. Bye.